Uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Good morning and, and welcome to you all. Uh, it's great that we can gather together today and to hear from God's Word. Uh, and we're starting uh, a new series this week, so particularly for those um, of you that are new with us today or are joining with us, uh, this is a new um, sermon series that we're starting in Philippians uh, this week. Uh, and I pray that you would find encouragement this morning um, in this part of God's Word and as we go through it each week, um, not through my words or, or the words of whoever is up the front speaking, but uh, really through the Word of God revealed to you by um, our great God and, uh, yeah, that that would be an encouragement to you. So let's pray as we get into his word this morning. Heavenly Father, help us to come with hearts open to receive your word. May it refresh us and guide us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to think a fair bit about uh, joy this morning. We all have varying experiences of joy, and so I wonder what comes to mind when you think about joy uh, in your life and your experience of it. What things pop up? What, uh, what memories or events or people bring you joy? It could be uh, the times you get to spend with a particular group of friends or family, or maybe it's uh, those weekend afternoons that you get to just chill out in the yard with your kids, or you might think back to memories that hold a particularly special place uh, for you because of the joy um, that you experienced uh, with them. Or uh, on the other hand, you might, uh, you might be able to think of times or seasons in your life that have felt maybe absent of joy, uh, times when work has felt really burdensome or frustrating or times when you and your spouse uh, seem to be on different pages all the time and not able to get a moment just to yourselves. What about when you think about church? Which category does it fall into you, um, fall into for you? What end of the spectrum does it lie on um, at the moment and in the past? When you catch up with family or friends for lunch, and you might, you might do this today after the service, and they ask that inevitable question of, how is Eastgate? What feelings come up for you with that question? So just have a think about it. Have that uh, question in the back of your mind as we go through the passage this morning. Because joy is something that does really seem to characterise Paul's letter to the Philippians. And throughout the book, we'll encounter this topic of joy numerous times. Paul wants them to know something of the joy that he experiences. And we see it around every corner in the book. And so this morning, as we look at the first part of chapter one, uh, we're going to see that joyful partnership in the gospel continues forever. And as we look through the passage uh, this week, I hope that you're encouraged as we see that our partnership, um, that our partnership in this same gospel means we can rejoice no matter the circumstance. So we're going to see that joyful partnership in the gospel uh, continues through these main points in verses one and two, and we'll read uh, their partnership greeting. In verses 3 to 11, we see Paul's prayer for the partnership. In verses 12 to 18, we see um, an update on the state of the partnership. So a partnership greeting, verses 1 to 2. And um, I'd encourage you to have your uh, Bibles open in front of you and looking through the passage as we go through this morning. 
In our first point, uh, we'll see that Paul and Timothy greet the church in Philippi as those who have genuine partnership with them. Um, And this partnership is founded on the grace and peace extended to them from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see that Paul and Timothy and the church in Philippi have gospel partnership. So look with me at verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, we see that Paul and Timothy identify themselves as servants or slaves, as it's rendered in some translations, of Christ Jesus, identifying themselves with those in Philippi by this common identity. This is no uh, mere friendship based around common interest. They extend the very grace they know has been shown to them and to the Philippians. Grace from God their Father, in verse 2. And they extend peace that has been accomplished in Christ Jesus, uniting, uniting the church in Philippi with them and them all with God in Christ. Paul and Timothy identify as servants of Christ at the start, and this is really a strong identification as something more than just a helper. Identifying as slaves of Christ Jesus, Paul and Timothy want the Philippians to know that they're identifying themselves with the Philippians. They see themselves as having a shared identity with the Philippians and they address the letter to the saints in Christ Jesus who are, who are in Philippi. This identifying them as saints again reinforces this common and shared identity and reminds the Philippians of the beginning of their relationship with Paul and Timothy. And we can read about the beginning of their relationship and their partnership in Acts chapter 16. I'd, I'd encourage you to do that uh, through the weeks as we're going um, through this book. What started as the encouraging conversion of a few now has grown to the point where there are identifiable elders and deacons as a part of this body of believers. And Paul and Timothy extend grace and peace to the Philippians. This is not just uh, a mere pleasantry, but it is the very grace, the favour and blessing extended to them by God and the very peace the reconciliation that has been won for them through the blood of Christ, through the gospel that is the very foundation of their ongoing partnership. Their partnership began in the gospel, their partnership is now founded in the gospel, and their partnership will continue in the gospel, grounded in peace and grace from their almighty God. Okay, so let me uh, paint a bit of a picture of what this might look like in our context. When we greet each other, particularly when we're meeting someone new, we often want to, uh, we want to know or we want to find a few things out, don't we? We want to try and gauge what we have in common, how we connect or where I can place you uh, in my network. We seek out that connection from the very beginning through establishing shared experience or common identity or by establishing differences by which we might place someone. We try to find answers, whether explicitly or, or implicitly, we try to find answers to the questions of where do you belong? How should I relate to you? Where do you fit in relation to me? And Toowoomba is particularly great for this, isn't it? Um, most people that you meet are either related to someone you know or work with someone you know or know someone you know. Um, and so straight away we get into conversations like, oh, you know old mate, I know old mate. Or you went to Harristown, I went to Harristown. And straight away you've established a connection there. And even as Christians we do this all the time. Uh, And perhaps not always in the most edifying ways. 
Oh, you go to that church? Yeah, I know old mate who goes to that church and it seems great. Or, oh, you, you go to that church. Oh, you listen to that preacher? Yeah, I really love his stuff. Um, and in all of this, when we're greeting someone new, we're trying to find ways to connect to them and establish a shared or different experience with them. But for Paul and Timothy, they only have one thing in mind when they're greeting the Philippians. For them, there is only one thing that is central to their relationship. There is only one shared experience. There is only one ultimate way that they connect with the Philippians, and that is in the gospel. It is in the grace from God. It is in the peace that they share together, being united in Christ, being a part of his body. They share in Christ's gospel together and partner in Christ's mission to make disciples of all nations. And indeed, the Philippians are a part of the progress of this mission already, aren't they? Paul and Timothy want the Philippians to know that there is nothing else that unites them apart from their joint service to Christ and their joint partnership in his gospel. And the way uh, that they introduce their letter to the Philippians indicates a truth that all Christians today can share in and indeed that we as Eastgate Bible Church can share in. Our partnership together goes beyond any sort of earthly or worldly connections that we might have. Uh, There is nothing else that goes deeper than partnership in the gospel of Christ. We too share in this partnership as believers. We gather this morning, we do life together as a church during the week, not because we have some sort of superficial shared interest, not because we share similar backgrounds, though some of us might, but because we share in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This applies to me and you, um, each of us in this moment today, in this place. So look around. You are in gospel partnership with these people. And our partnership is one that needs that same grace and peace. So extend grace and peace to them, just as God has given you grace and peace in Christ. We need grace when we don't love each other as we should. We need peace when things are hard and we need reminding of God's love for us. And so um, when we're owning up to our own failings and forgiving one another, when we're sharing hard things and praying praying for one another... This is our gospel partnership in action. So we've seen from the introduction to Philippians right from the get-go that the partnership between Paul and Timothy um, and the Philippians is grounded in the gospel and we too share in this partnership. As a church, our partnership is grounded in and stems from and is motivated by and is strengthened by the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And we'll continue to see this as we, uh, as we move through the passage, that this partnership is one of joy uh, and it will continue forever. And so as we head into the next section, we actually get to see a glimpse into how Paul feels about this partnership. We get to see not just what he can say about it, the, the logical statements or truths, but how he feels about it and the joy that it gives him. So into a prayer for the partnership in verses 3 to 11. In verses 3 to 11, we see that gospel partnership brings these three, uh, these three main things. Joy, confidence, and longing. 
We see joy that springs out of gospel partnership. We see confidence that the partnership will be brought to completion. And we see longing for the good of those in the partnership. And we see this particularly in the way that Paul describes his prayer for the Philippians. So look with me at verse uh, 3. Straight away as we move out of the introduction um, in greeting the Philippians, Paul can't help but change from the more formal language and joint greeting with himself and Timothy. But you'll, you'll notice that that verse 3 starts with I. And he, and he seems to slip naturally into this individual, personal, what seems like a natural expression of joy and thankfulness for the gospel partnership he has with, with the Philippians in the following nine verses. In verse uh, 3, 4, and 5, Paul uh, expresses incredible joy, incredible gratitude for the Philippians, and this stems from their partnership with him in the gospel. It flows from this and is grounded in this. In verse uh, 6, Paul expresses confidence that the work begun in the Philippians through their partnership will be brought to completion. It won't fade, it won't be brought into question. And Paul expresses that he is sure of this. In verse 7, Paul describes how he holds the Philippians in his heart and they are partakers with him of grace. Evidently, they continue to be partners with him in the defence and confirmation of the gospel, even though they're separated and even during Paul's imprisonment. And in verse 8, Paul describes how he has such strong feelings of affection uh, for the Philippians that he yearns for them, he longs for them, all with the very affection of Christ Jesus. And this yearning finds its place in prayer for the Philippians in verses 9 to 11. As we see Paul's prayer and hope for the future, that they may abound in love and grow in knowledge and discernment. So Paul wants the Philippians to know that his partnership with them, it's it's alive and well, just as it was when he was with them in person. And it is this partnership that ultimately brings Paul such joy and gratitude and affection and longing that he expresses in these verses. He is just overwhelmed with joy because of the work of Christ that is happening both in the Philippians and in Paul's circumstances as well. Paul sees the fruit of this uh, in the past, in God's work in the Philippians up until this point, and in their partnership with him. He also sees this in the hope of the future, He knows that because this partnership is founded in and based on the gospel of Christ, that it is not under the same uh, threat as a mere business partnership or friendship or other worldly connection. No, the partnership that Paul and the Philippians experience is one that will be brought to completion at the day of Christ. Because of the assurance of the gospel, Paul calls the Philippians to be confident in Christ and his work in them so that they may be abounding in love more and more growing in knowledge and discernment, and so be presented blameless uh, at the day of Christ. Basically, Paul's encouraging them to continue in the work, to continue in the gospel, and reminding them, reminding them of the joy that they too can have in this. And we'll see uh, in a few verses the encouragement from the fruit of this partnership. And as we go through, through Philippians over the next few weeks, we'll see more about how ultimately it's Christ in his work and, he, and in his example that spurs us on to continue in gospel partnership. So I think the way that we relate to family members echoes what Paul is describing here. 
Uh, think of those family members where just the thought of them brings to mind feelings of uh, joy and pride and thankfulness, maybe even, even longing, um, whether that's siblings, parents, your children. Now, if you think about why those feelings are there, I'm sure it's not because those people are perfect or that you see eye to eye with them all the time or that you never have a disagreement with them or that there's never conflict No, it's most likely in the context of those things that there's still a deep underlying joy and affection and longing for those people. The bonds and and connection that we have with family are tied to something deeper. And ironically, this can also lead to um, family relationships being some of the hardest relationships that we have as well. And so if that's your experience this morning, I know uh, that we can relate to that as well. But this is different to how we go about a business relationship. If we enter into a business partnership with someone, that's uh, contingent on continued cash flow and commercial success. Once the money dries up with that person, um, then the partnership is no longer viable, and that's okay. It's also different to some friendships we might have that revolve around a particular interest, Um, And maybe when we're not talking about that particular thing or watching the game with that person, um, that connection just isn't there. It tends to rely on and depend on that particular interest. Paul's partnership with the Philippians uh, in the gospel is grounded on something deeper and richer than just shared experience or a mutually beneficial business relationship. This gospel partnership is also something better than those things. And because of this, Paul can have genuine joy and affection and longing for the Philippians. So we saw, um, if you think back to the first couple of verses in the chapter, that our partnership is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see here that when that's the case, that leads to joy, confidence and longing. It means that we're not just concerned about the, the superficial or the everyday, but with the ultimate growth of those that we partner with. Like Paul... Our desire is for each other to grow in love and knowledge and discernment. So who do we partner with and how does that bring us joy? Well, in partnership, we gather together each Sunday and one way that we bring joy to one another is when we serve each other in various ways so that others are able to come and worship God with us. In partnership, we meet during the week and pray for one another, yearning that we might grow in love more and more. In partnership, we send out people to share the gospel further afield, in Sale, in Peru, in Turkey, at the uni and other places. These things bring us joy because we do them in partnership with one another. Together, for the sake of the gospel, we get to be a part of God's work in advancing the gospel and enabling people to come and worship him. We see here that for Paul, genuine joy comes through gospel partnership. Nothing else seems to be able to compare to the joy that Paul gets from being able to partner with the Philippians in the gospel of God. And as we'll see in the next point, this joy and this gospel is not something that is threatened by suffering or trials or any other circumstance that we might find ourselves in. So heading into the last, into the last section... Uh, verses 12 to 18, where we see an update on the state of the partnership. In these verses, Paul aims to reassure the Philippians by providing an update on their partnership. He does this through reassuring them regarding his present circumstances. 
what we see in these verses is that even though the extreme circumstances, sorry, even through the extreme circumstances of Paul's imprisonment and impending trial, Paul and the Philippians are able to rejoice together in their partnership as the gospel goes forth. So look with me uh, at verse 12. We should be shocked by what Paul says here, genuinely shocked. Why? Because this is the last circumstance where we would expect someone to have joy. Paul is likely imprisoned in Rome. He's faced numerous trials and judgments on his journey to get there and numerous sufferings which we can read about in Acts. He's likely being chained to a guardsman 24 hours a day. And But then he gives us this surprising perspective in saying to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. How is this so? How can he say that? The one factor that's determining whether Paul can rejoice here is whether the gospel is going forth. And we can see the gospel going forth in how he describes what's been happening in Rome through the next few verses. He talks about the effects that his imprisonment has had on the imperial guard, that all of them know why he is there. All of them know that he is there because of Christ and that he is there for Christ. We see that in verse 13. He's also encouraged by the fellow believers in Rome. Most of them seemingly have been encouraged by Paul's imprisonment and have become confident, being bold to speak the gospel without fear. And even those, and this this is a point of shock once again, even those who preach from ulterior motives we see in verse 15 and 17 are a source of rejoicing for Paul. And their motives seem to be actually specifically against Paul. It's not as though he's just generally questioning why they're doing what they're doing, but their motives are, uh, this is personal for Paul, they're they're preaching out of rivalry, um, seeking to afflict Paul and possibly to bring him shame in his imprisonment. But Paul only has eyes for the gospel. And he concludes this section with that amazing expression that we see in verse 18, right at the end. That whether in pretense or in truth, if Christ is proclaimed, he will rejoice. He will rejoice in the gospel as it goes forth. Paul's update to the Philippians on the state of their partnership is centered only in the state of the gospel. Those two things are one and the same. And I think it's important here to just have a, think, have a think for a moment about the different ways that Paul could have provided this update, even different ways that he could have done it very reasonably and truthfully. Firstly, Paul could have been um, genuinely downbeat in his update, focusing on the many uh, genuine trials which he has gone through and in which he continues to go through. It could have sounded something like this. Dear church, things are just so hard right now. I've been tossed around like a hot potato from trial to trial, one governor to the next. We finally made it to Rome after delays and being shipwrecked. And now, as my reward, I get to spend my whole day chained to some Roman guard. Or he could have focused on a certain optimism about the possibility um, that these trials would end soon. Brothers in Philippi, 
We've come through thick and thin, but you know what? I think change is coming. I'm claiming it. Besides, things could have been worse. Rome isn't so bad after all. He could have even described his circumstances very reasonably as a certain shared suffering that he must go through and persist through with the promise of reward, eternal or otherwise, from God on the other side. And this would have been something very reasonable to say. I wonder what would you be drawn to say if you were in Paul's shoes? How would you provide this update? Would you be more like poor me, Paul, or positive Paul, or just straight down the line, stoic Paul? No, for Paul, his circumstances are not merely a trial to endure, endure, but they are the very circumstances which are necessary to provide the conditions in which the gospel will go forth and will be proclaimed and God would be glorified. And he's excited to share this with the church in Philippi. Because of their partnership with him in this, they are both invested primarily in the gospel. Their partnership is in the gospel. Paul's update on the state of their partnership together is an update on the state of the gospel. Uh, Most of you would know Millie and I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old nephew, and he came to mind when I was thinking about this section of the passage. Uh, The reason for that is that uh, when you ask him a question about his day or what he's been up to, it doesn't really matter what question you ask. You know that what you'll get back is this genuine raw sense of what he's excited about that day, no matter the question. And this is often um, off topic. For example, you might ask, did you have fun at dinner with Ma and Pa? And he might reply excitedly with, we went to Hammerbarn yesterday, or I saw a digger. And in that moment, you realise, well, obviously he doesn't really care uh, about dinner in that moment. You know what's on his mind. You know what's exciting for him that day, regardless of whatever, whatever else I think might be worth asking about. And for Paul in this passage, he's probably anticipating questions about his health or his well-being, whether he's being treated okay in prison, what the legal case is looking like, uh, and other questions like that. But he makes sure that from the very start of this letter, from the very top, in these opening remarks, that the state of the gospel is what he's primarily concerned about and the reason for his ongoing joy. He's almost saying to the Philippians, the question you should be asking is, how is the gospel? What is the state of the gospel where you are? How are you seeing God work where you are? And so I wonder again how you answer uh, that question when you get asked, how is Eastgate? Because that is a hard question, particularly at this stage in our life as a church. I think it's probably a hard question for most churches, but particularly at Eastgate at the moment. Um, And I know I have trouble answering that question, um, and it's hard to know what to say. You might focus uh, your answers on your hope for the future, like positive Paul. Um, and, but even looking to the future, uh, you know, for example, at the end of the year, Alon and Kerry and the Barnes family will be very close to moving overseas and we'll be left with a pretty large gap in our congregation and in our leadership. How do we answer that question then? What if the process of finding uh, a pastor continues longer than we wanted it to? How do we keep on answering that question How is Eastgate? 
Friends, it must be in the gospel of Christ where we find the answer. It is only through the gospel that we can possibly find the answers to those questions. And the gospel gives us the lens through which we can find joy in our gospel partnership here and now. Paul doesn't look to the state of his circumstances for answers to that question. He lifts his eyes and rejoices at the evidence of God at work around him and the fruit of gospel partnership. What things do you see when you lift your eyes and look for the work of the gospel in us? Maybe you see the wonder of two new believers committing their lives to Christ. Maybe you see our kids slowly understanding more and more of what God has done for them. Maybe you see people around you being driven to call out to God in prayer for our church and for each other. Maybe you see the tireless effort of faithful saints putting others' needs above their own. This is not easy joy. It's not cheap joy. Sometimes it's messy joy or slow joy. But it is gospel joy. And it is grown as we partner in the gospel together. And it's grown in our partnership with those who go out from us as well. We can rejoice with Samuel and Laura and their gospel work in sale. We can rejoice with Nancy when we hear about God's work to bring true healing to those in Peru. We can rejoice with the Barnes family as they prepare to be a part of God's work advancing the gospel in Turkey. We are partners with them and partners with each other not just bystanders to their updates who pray for them every once in a while, but partners in the gospel with them. What we've seen in verses um, 12 to 18 is in this section is that even in the face of suffering, in the face of trial, we can have joy in the gospel. And this joy is not just in spite of those things, as if we need to just grit our teeth and bear it and persist through, but this joy can be found in the very work of God in our circumstances. And so this rounds off uh, this introduction to Philippians, this amazing passage where we've seen that joyful partnership in the gospel continues forever. We've seen uh, in verses 1 to 2 that Paul and Timothy's partnership with the Philippians is firmly centred on the gospel, which is the very grace and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ that we share in as well. We've seen in verses 3 to 11 that as we partner together in the gospel, that this brings joy, confidence, and longing as we yearn for us all to grow in love and in knowledge and in discernment and so find the completion of our partnership on the day of Christ. We've seen in verses 12 to 18 that the state of gospel partnership is found in the state of the gospel. When we look to the gospel, we can rejoice in our partnership together, no matter what the circumstance. And we started today by thinking about joy and and whether our answer to that question of how easy Eastgate would be one of joy. Um, And we can see that it's only in the gospel that we can answer that with joy. It's through the gospel we have been saved, not to be the, the saints of Eastgate, but to be saints in Christ Jesus who are at Eastgate with grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through the gospel we have hope that our partnership in the gospel will be brought to completion because we know that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. And it's only in the gospel that we can rejoice, no matter the circumstance, 
uh, because the gospel continues to go forth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for, for these people here today and for the joyful gospel partnership that we have together. We thank you that this partnership uh, is not in vain because it centers on your gospel. Help us to look to you, um, help us to find joy in the gospel together, no matter what the circumstance. Uh, and it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.